T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Hi, your time is 719. We're here in studio. Uh, good... Really nice to have Luke Bronin, mayor of Hartford. It's been a long time since we've been able to do these things, so it's really nice that you made the effort. I know the kids are off from school today, and we appreciate you coming in. No, it's good to be in person in the studio with Brian. How how are you? I mean, are you, do you need like a are you like Hermione in Harry Potter, or do you have a hologram? Like how how do you balance your life? I mean, <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know if I do it all that well. Uh, I mean, in some ways, you know, the balance of life got a little easier uh, with COVID and after COVID. You know, the, the crush of events and, and stuff uh, outside of, uh, uh, of normal work on the evenings and weekends is a little bit different. And, uh, and I'm a little more willing to say no to things than I than I used to. But, you know, I still try to do everything that I can. And um, and I try to, you know, take my kids to things when I can. But, um, you know, just do the best. Sarah and I both do the best we can. Are you are you finding more events? Is, it, is that changing? There's no question things are coming back. You know, even just over the last couple of weeks, there have been those nights when there's five, six things happening in one night, and uh, and I actually kind of welcome it. It's a sign that life's beginning to return to normal. Yeah, you, and and people don't, who don't know Mayor Bronin, and you're also a, a musician. You're an attorney, but you're an, a musician. Do you still? Do you still play? No, that's past tense. Is it gone? I, I like, was. I mean, not even like I'll on play, a, a Sunday no, when you're. I, I, I'll, I'll screw around on the guitar, and you know, sometimes I'll try to write something and, and sing a little bit. But, uh, but no, I don't. I don't do it seriously right now. That's. I mean, that's so cool. I can't even play. You know, I took ukulele lessons four times. I could not even. <laughs> I couldn't get. I couldn't get past. I think at this point, I might not be much better. <laughs> uh, I, I, I doubt. I doubt that. Uh, so I wanted to share a story. Like on Friday night, uh, my wife and I. Uh, went out for my birthday and we went to the Van Gogh exhibit at the convention center and then we had dinner at Trumbull Kitchen and I will tell you like the Van Gogh exhibit at first like we're like there's nobody here but then then the the third room fills up and you were like there's a lot of people here and it was awesome I, mean, I don't know if you went to it but it was really I didn't know much about Vincent Van Gogh's life or his relationship with his brother or anything I took two art history classes and I thought it was just awesome and I really enjoyed it then Trumbull Kitchen was packed it was packed and what I would say, though, is that we decided, my wife was a little mad, we decided to walk from the convention center to Trumbull Kitchen. It was a little chillier than we've been having with weather, and my wife was a little, but it, it was just nothing, you know, right? And so there's this in, such a contrast, and, and I know you must be sick of, like, how do we bring Hartford back talk? I mean, because that's all you get are those questions, like, how do you bring Hartford back talk? But, like, how do you view the current state of affairs in the city of Hartford. Sure. Well, you know, you and I have talked about this before. It's it's heartbreaking when you think back to where we were coming into 2020. You know, we had battled through 
the historic fiscal challenges in 16, 17, 18. And coming into 2020, it felt like we were starting to really fire on all cylinders. You just had a tremendous amount of energy and activity. You had uh, companies moving in. You had uh, significant residential growth. And, and you could just feel it. And, and then, of course, COVID was a gut punch and uh, hit Hartford hard like it's hit a lot of cities hard. And it hit especially hard because you have so many of those office buildings concentrated in the downtown. And, yep. and even though some of the big employers, you know, Travelers, the Hartford, uh, some of the law firms, others, are bringing employees in a few days a week, it, it's nothing like the volume that you had pre-pandemic. Is, and, and, and that's, you know, I think it's going to take a while to uh, to adjust to that and, and to, to see where the world of work goes. But in the meantime, you know, to me, what we can do and what we have to do is pretty clear. First, you know, we're, we're focused intensely on uh, activating the retail. Uh, you had some retail spots that have been vacant for decades in Hartford. You got others that closed during the pandemic. But we've seen, we, we started something called the Heartlift Partnership, where we'll uh, invest alongside a small business that's opening up in a retail space. We've had five, about 46 companies, 46 small businesses commit to that. You look at Pratt Street, every single one of the storefronts on Pratt Street is now under contract. Right. So the key is, and I think that's great, and Pratt Street's a great space. I mean, just walking up and down the street, but now you have to get people to be patrons of these these institutions and keep them open, right? So opening them is one thing. That's right. Sustaining them is a different one. And that's why the second part of it for us is focusing on accelerating that residential growth, that residential development. You know, if you're not going to have as many people in office buildings, you got to have those feet on the street that come from people living in the downtown. And the demand is really strong. You know, if you, if you look at the 2010 to the 2020 census, population downtown increased 50%. From a pretty low baseline, right. but increased a lot. And every unit that goes up gets rented really quick. Um, it's still tough to make the economics work because the cost of construction are so high in New England in general. Uh, and the rents that you get in Hartford, uh, it's a blessing and a curse, right? The rents right. you, you got to pay in Hartford are nowhere near what you'd pay in Boston or New York. But it also means it's harder to make the numbers work on the projects. Who are the people? So, Go ahead. So we work hard to get make those deals pencil, get those deals across the finish line because- I think we've got to build a few thousand more units uh, of mixed income, but but also a lot of market rate uh, housing around the downtown to to uh, to make up for some of that loss. But we had to do that pre-pandemic. We just got to do it that much more urgently now. And again, I'm a cheerleader for Hartford, and I've been thrown so much weight behind like the yard goats, and and I believe that the organic growth around that area and Parkville Market are are where you really because that's organic, right? I mean, it's really just happened on its own. But what what first of all, who are the people? moving in who are they are they young people a, old people are it's they- a mix it's a mix you got a lot of young professionals moving in but i think the most important numbers if you look at those apartments for example like you said the ones that went up around the ballpark yep. you know i think close to 80 percent of the people in those units are coming in from outside of the hartford market and that's, so that's good that's, that's good that's, that's good okay. in the sense that it's it's growth it's it's net growth it's not just grabbing from one building you know and filling up another uh, it's not just newer buildings cannibalizing older buildings it's it's net growth and i think that's that's something that we as a state need and i was in a in a meeting um, a few weeks back, it got some press attention with, with um, uh, the governor was there, a whole bunch of business leaders from around the state. The number one issue that the business leaders around the state talked about as a constraint to growth in Connecticut was housing. Uh, that there's just not enough housing opportunities for the talent that they're trying to hire and retain. So, you know, we're going to do our part uh, in Hartford to get as much built as we can. How, why do they want to, 
I mean, I, I, as honest as you can, you're a politician, it's your city, but what's the, why do they want to come? Because it's new? Is it is it because it's more cost effective because Hartford rents are lower than other cities? Like what, what makes them want to come? Because I don't see a seven day a week city right now, like in terms of some things, like a lot of stuff just shuts down outside of the business hours. And if you want to move, you want to be able to, I don't know, go out, food shop, you know, and 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 do some leisure activity, sure. and and right now it doesn't feel like a seven day a week city in some some parts of it. No, I think that's right. On the other hand, uh, I mean, look, I've lived in the downtown since two thousand six. Oh wow! Um, dramatic changes. Uh, you know, you look out uh, at Bushnell Park. You got at any pretty much any part of the day, any part of the week, you got people out there running, walking dogs uh, out there with baby car- baby carriages, strollers. Um, you've got. Uh, I remember when you. There was no local coffee shop, right? Now you've got Are there? Story and Soil on yeah. Capitol Ave, Blue State on Main Street, Samia up on uh, uh, the other part of Main Street, uh, Bloom Bakery on Pratt Street, uh, not to mention the Starbucks. I mean, so a tremendous amount of progress. But the other thing is, Hartford is such a small city. And, and right now we're just talking about the downtown, right? There's yeah. so much else that we could talk sure. about. But Hartford's such a small city that um, y- y- you can walk out of wherever you're living, stroll down to one of the most beautiful parks in the country or down to the riverfront, um, you know, to go to great, some great restaurants, great bars. Um, you're right. We've got a long way to go to get the level of energy that we, that we want. Um, but I think the, the only answer to that is you just keep pushing. You keep pushing on both fronts. You try to ladder up, right? You, you get more and more of that retail activated, so you have a concentration of things that helps attract people and bring them in, and that, that energy feeds on itself. And you get enough residential density that you can feel those uh, the people in the city, the feet on the street. And back to the size of the city, a couple thousand units, you can feel it in a really powerful way. So, you know, we're going to just push hard as, as hard as we can. Obviously, we'd love to get everybody back in the, in the office buildings yeah. too, but, um, but that's not something we can control right now. And the bones, I mean, it's got great bones. I mean, the city, re- city. It really, really does. And some of the buildings are, are beautiful too. Are you concerned about because I don't know that you can offset all the absence of the workers because, listen, hybrid, I think hybrid's here for a long time. But are you worried about the commercial real estate side of it? Yes. And and how are you – really, we have one more minute before we have to take a break. How, how are you sort of – what sort of conversations are you having to try to deal with it? Well, look, I mean, first of all, yeah, I am very worried about it. I, I think that – Hartford, more than any other Connecticut city, Hartford is dependent on that concentration of commercial office uses, right? The reason we focused on residential right. so hard is that Hartford for so long had been sort of a, a downtown office park. Uh, so it's a it's a real threat. We work hard uh, in partnership with business owners to try to recruit new businesses in. But I do think that our best contribution as a city and my best contribution as mayor is to focus on accelerating that residential growth and the retail activation uh, to, to create the kind of energy that helps attract employers and when they're ready to come back in. We're talking with Mayor Luke Bronin, obviously Mayor of, of Hartford. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the election cycle, some of the national uh, political movements, and and a whole bunch of other things here. We have to take a quick break. All right, we're back. Thank you, Bob, uh, with Mayor Luke Bronin of the city of Hartford here. I'm Brian and Company in WTIC News Talk 1080. Uh, one other local thing I want to uh, touch on before we talk a little bit about some sort of macro things. Uh, you know, anytime there's a shooting, there's, people talk about crime and there's there's this whole pushback, especially in state politics, about we need to do more on crime. What is, statistically, where are we and, and, and is it better or worse than it was a year or two ago? So 
If you look at the number of shootings with victims right now this year, uh, we're down a little bit compared with last year. Uh, if you look at the number of homicides, we're right about the same number. And both those numbers are higher than they had been in the years before. You know, like a lot of cities, we saw a pretty dramatic spike in gun violence coming out of the pandemic, during and coming out of the pandemic. Uh, if you look at other categories of crime over time, you know, they go up and down, but look, over time, uh, there's been a general downward trend. Uh, but gun violence is the is the most challenging, persistent uh, safety issue that we've got. Now, I, it's, it's a really... Uh, we could talk for hours about this. Uh, almost all of the gun violence that we see is targeted. It's between people who know each other so well. You think it's gang it's related? Not necessarily. There is there is some of that. There is some ganger group, uh, uh, you know, uh, r- retaliation. There are there are sort of those those battles that happen. There's also a lot of very personal disputes that that arise from you know fights on the uh, social media that that then turn into fights in real life. Or you know we saw that tragic. Uh, situation earlier this summer where three people were killed and a baby was orphaned because two neighbors started arguing over a dog and everybody had guns. You know, you have this combination of the prevalence of guns, um, the... uh, I think that the psychological impact of the pandemic is has been pretty powerful, and people are just short fused in a way that they mm. weren't before. And you see things escalate. And I talk to mayors across the country who are seeing this same thing of very personal disputes escalating really quickly. Uh, and then you have, of course, the the tie between drugs and guns, and drug trafficking and the gun trade. Um, I, I think that there's. Again, I'd love to spend an hour just talking about the things that we're working on, whether it's our hospital-based violence intervention programs, whether it's the work with our Compass Peace Builders and Hartford Communities of Care, or what our police are doing. I mean, our police, I think, are doing a phenomenal job. They they have uh, been incredibly effective at uh, solving non-fatal shootings, which is an area which a lot of cities struggle in and which Hartford historically struggled in. Um, they've been incredibly effective in taking illegal guns off the street, uh, taking more illegal guns off the street last year than ever before. But there are some things that I think we as a state have to really tackle. You know, one one of those things is uh, that I, I've been a strong proponent of criminal justice reform, but I think that one area where we've really got to take a look is uh, the fact that there are too many people who are caught with firearms or engaged in violent activity um, who are back out too soon. And it's frustrating for our police and it's frustrating for our community. You know, we're talking with Mayor Luke Brennan from the city of Hartford. I, you know, I go back, I stay away. I try not to be political in the morning as, as a host, but you, cause when you get into second amendment arguments, I mean, it's just, I I've never really understood. And I understand like there's the fear of creep, right? That incremental, like if you, if you have more restrictions then eventually they want to take away the right to bear arms. I just read, uh, you know, uh, was it all God's children or, or what have you about the Bosket family tree going back to South Carolina and in Ant- the antebellum South. And we've been the most armed society in the planet for, you know, a couple hundred years. But what I don't understand is, is why making it, I don't know why you, you can't want some common sense things done. And that all of a sudden immediately makes you against the second amendment. It's like, it's almost impossible for somebody to advocate for change without being demonized for it. 
Look, I, I think in addition to that, there's the fact that the overwhelming share of Americans want those common sense reforms. And you look at the support for universal background checks. You look at where people are on high capacity magazines and assault weapons. The overwhelming number of Americans want them. Uh, it's just that it's too easy for uh, a, a minority of uh, members of Congress to block those reforms. And, and it's a structural problem. But it, I, I, I agree with you. Look, I grew up shooting. Uh, I, I go hunting. Uh, I am a gun owner. I served in the military. Um, I respect guns and gun owners who are using those guns in responsible ways. Uh, and at the same time, I see the influx of ghost guns, meaning those guns that are not, uh, you know, well, that's all you get no in cities because they can. They, they, that's all you get in cities. No, no, no. There's still a smaller percentage of the guns that are out there. Gun, I'm talking about guns that you can, you know, order in parts and assemble at home. Oh, I'm talking okay. about guns that you can print on a 3D printer, or guns that are manufactured with no serial numbers so that they can right. if, escape evasion. There's still been no federal action on that. When, I mean, tell me what the case is that a law-abiding citizen should have a non-traceable gun. Right? There's no argument for it. It makes no sense. And yet we can't even get ourselves to the place where we are uh, on a federal level cracking down on ghost guns and then enforcing that. Um, I think there's lots of room for common sense reform. And I think that you know Chris Murphy and our, our delegation here in Connecticut have been really strong national leaders on this. And they got some important stuff done for the first time in a long, long time in Congress this past year. But there's a long way to go. And, and it does show up on our streets. You know, people say uh, that when you pass these laws, you're not keeping guns away from uh, criminals. That's, that's not really true. You know, when you don't have safe storage laws and guns can be stolen and then sold, they end up on the streets and they end up being used in crime. When you don't have federal laws that protect against ghost guns being trafficked across the country, they show up on our streets and they end up being used in crime. There's a lot of things that we can do. Yeah. And it's, and, but the, the, the reality is that whatever just was done, it's not. They're not going to do anything else in for a while. You're right, and it's also the reality that you know some of our laws were stronger in the past than they are now. So this idea that there's this relentless march toward taking away rights is is not accurate. This country had an assault weapons ban ban for a long time, and then it went away. You can't tell me that you know this country was uh, that there was a fundamental threat to our rights. You know, in the '90s and early 2000s when we had an assault weapons ban. Uh, Americans understood that. They pushed for it. It's just that the politics around this, and particularly the structural challenge of a minority of members of Congress being able to block reform that a majority of Americans want, is a structural problem that a lot of folks are frustrated with. Well, which brings me to, and we have to take a quick break here, but I will say that that the minority, you say, are controlling this this gun issue, and I, I would argue that that's true with a lot of issues right now. And and there's the 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 way Washington is and the way it works. Like for for me, like as an executive, like you should as a mayor, as governor, like you can really impact change. Like in Congress, it's I'm not going to say it's a joke, but it, it's really difficult to affect change, and and you can't. But I, I want to pick up on that theme in a in a second. I re, you want to say something real quick? Okay, we'll take a quick break. Hartford Mayor Luke Bronin here, which is talking off off mic here. Oh, just a couple of minutes left with, with you, Mr. Mayor, and and we'll have you back. I mean, there's a lot of listeners who want to ask questions too. We just don't simply have the time this morning. But you know, I'm not particularly optimistic about how things work in Washington. And I'm not alone in that. It's not like a new thought. And I think the polarization, I think there's danger on the far left and the far right. I think both sides are, are the problem. And I, I think most Americans or the ones I know are more in the, in the middle. And I'm just curious about your view 
of things because you, you as an executive can can do a, a lot more with what you have to deal with than, say, the congressional delegation. Well, look, I think it's true that when you're in a, an executive role, especially at the local level, you know, you, you don't really have uh, you don't have have time to kind of get caught up in ideological stuff. You just try to get to make things work and you, and you just focus on making your community better. And that's one of the things I love about the job. But I will say without the work that Congress has done this year, our city and cities across Connecticut, city across the country, communities across the country would have a m- much harder time recovering than we are right now. The because all the, money, plan, because all the money American you got. Rescue Plan made a huge difference. You know, whether you're talking about investing in kids and in schools uh, and helping kids recover and reconnect after what they've been through, whether you're talking about uh, supporting small businesses and and uh, helping that economic revitalization come back, uh, that matters in a huge way. And, you know, it's funny. It's a, it was partisan on the vote, right? You had very few Republicans who voted for it, but everybody's taking credit for it <laughs> across right. the country. And, and most and, people are taking the money. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that it's it's easy to get discouraged and frustrated, and there's lots of reasons to be discouraged and frustrated. At the same time, if you look at what has gotten done over the last year, year and a half, not, not just talking about the American Rescue Plan, but look at the infrastructure bill, which this country has needed to pass for a generation and I would argue still doesn't go far enough to try to you know, upgrade our infrastructure and invest in a 21st century infrastructure. But it was the first major national commitment to infrastructure in generation. Well, let me, you look at the, you know, the, uh, the CHIPS Act, trying to make us competitive on one of the most important areas of competitiveness in the 21st century, uh, you know, um, that will make a difference. It'll make a difference in our competition with China. Uh, you look at the, uh, the climate provisions that got included in this Inflation Reduction Act, that's some really significant stuff. But can so I, can I, interject? I do think there's some good stuff happening. Let me interject really quickly, but uh, how much do you think that there's two questions here that I ask a lot. One is, how much do you think that money has contributed to inflation? I know inflation is a global problem, but how much do you think it has contributed to inflation in this country? Number two is, are you worried about when the money stops flowing, what happens to places like Connecticut and Hartford? Well, let me take the second one first. Um, Yes, worried about that to some extent. But again, if you look at the infrastructure bill, that's going to be a 10-year investment. That That's a 10-year or more Is that money coming in already? Because I haven't heard anything about projects starting. Sure, you have project, you have upgrades being made on the New Haven to New York rail line. You have As you know, we highway speak, projects that's already going started on. Happening? You have other projects that are in the planning pipeline. You know, One of the mistakes, I think, back in 2008, 2009, and the, the recovery uh, from the, the crisis back then, was this focus on shovel-ready projects. So right. the only things that got built were the things that were already ready well, they to just get shoveled repaved the highways Whereas, again. Right. And, and that's not the right way to do it. The smarter way is the way they did it this time, which is to say, let's put resources aside and then design and build the projects that have to be designed and, build and built and let's do it right. And I think that that's going to be, uh, that is, is going to be implemented over the next five, 10, even 15 years in a way that's going to make a lasting difference for the country. Um, as for the American Rescue Plan resources, yeah, sure, some of those are going to be short-term. We've made a very conscious decision not to use that to just fill budget gaps, not to use that you know, on one-time things, but, but to use it in ways that we hope will either address the urgent needs that were exacerbated the pandemic, by the pandemic or help lay a stronger foundation you know, for growth in the future. Tax-base-wise, I mean, how, is, how are things budget-wise in Hartford? Look, uh, I'll tell you two, two answers to that, both of which are very different. Um, if you had told me when I came in, you know, nearly seven years ago, uh, that we 
would have been able to go seven years, not add to the long-term debt of the city at all, uh, stabilize the city's finances, and then drop the mill rate by the largest reduction in the property tax rate in 30 years, I would have said, no way. We've been able to do that. And we're in a drastically different place than we were when I came in from a fiscal standpoint. But, At the same time, the issue we were talking about earlier is uh, is a storm cloud, the the challenge to the commercial office right. market. You know, we've got a significant part of our tax base that is those large commercial office buildings, and we just don't know how work is going to change in the years ahead. That's yeah. your biggest challenge right now. I as, think fiscally. As mayor. I think fiscally. I wouldn't say that's my biggest challenge as mayor, but I think fiscally, from a budget standpoint and looking longer term, that's one of the bigger concerns that I have. So what is your biggest challenge right now as mayor of Hartford? The the biggest concern the biggest challenge, the biggest concern I have as mayor is the fact that um, for all of our assets, for the fact that we are so rich in culture and arts and great food and great music and sports, um, we remain a, a city where there's an enormous amount of poverty and everything that goes with that uh, and you know, intergenerational poverty and the accumulated uh, trauma that comes with that and uh, including the gun violence that what we're talking can you about do, What can you do to that? Well, problem. there's a lot of things that we work on. You know, I'll, I'll give, you, give you an example, but uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is we created the Youth Service Corps in Hartford, which now gives about 350 kids a year a chance to get their first job, uh, earn a paycheck, doing things in the community that make a difference, while at the same time getting connected to coaches and mentors and making a plan for what comes next. Uh, and it's not first come, first serve. That's for the kids who are most most disconnected and sort of need that, that hand up the most. Uh, but it's not nearly sufficient, right? It's got to be at a much larger scale. And that's just one tiny, tiny piece of, of the work we're trying to do. You work in creating opportunities for kids, lifting lifting those kids up, connecting them to people that care, um, investing in things like youth sports, um, which which we've done, investing in youth providers, you know, to, to make a, a difference, trying to um, expand uh, access to job growth and pipelines for for jobs like we've built you know in partnerships with organizations like girls for technology or capital community college to connect young people to jobs that are out there but um, the challenge I'm talking about has been there and has been building for generations you can't turn it around right, it's not in, new, in a right. in a few years but what you can do is try to lay a foundation put some of the pieces in place and do the best we can well having said that so lay the foundation so it takes time. Uh, once we get through November, you flip the political calendar. We're in an election year. Um, will you run for a third term? <laughs> uh, I'm leaning toward yes, but I have not made a decision. Uh, and you know, I, I've told my my wife and myself, and I, I think we'll probably make a decision sometime around uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, but you- I'm leaning toward yes because there's so much work that I'd love to see through. You know, there's a lot of things underway that I'd love to get get across the finish line. A lot of things that were delayed by COVID that I'd love to uh, to be able to see through. But uh, but it's been seven years, and this job's like dog years, and yeah. uh, you know sometimes these seven feel like twenty-one. Well, I mean, I remember watching you know Obama go from like all the way to gray. I mean, <laughs> your hair seems like you're okay. You still got enough on top, and it's not too gray, so yeah. you're doing okay. I mean, I lost my large intestine along the way, but <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> but I still got f- most. By of the way, you feel, you're feeling okay. <laughs> yeah, feeling, okay? feeling great. I actually. forgot about that. Yeah. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, no. You were on the DL for for a little bit. Uh, thanks for coming in. We should hey, do this again because there's I'd so many to. more things I left on the table. But I appreciate the time. Anytime. Thanks, Brian. Uh, Mayor Luke Bronin from the city of Hartford. 
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.